the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Adio. Let's talk about the stock markets. It's the only thing I know how to do at times, right? Facebook had the worst day ever by a stock. The largest single day loss of market value. That's pretty crazy. When you see a hundred plus billion dollars or 10 plus billion or 20 plus billion, one trillion in GDP. When you start writing the stuff down, it's kind of overwhelming. How much money we're talking about. Amazon.com up. It's been an interesting uh, earning season for tech companies. Has it not? Let's stop and think about this for just a second. And what I mean is um, Google reported a nice number. Then they went on to hit record high. Facebook reported a weak number, but projected it in an even weaker number. And then they had the biggest drop of historic proportions on market cap in one day. Amazon has a nice, nice corner, and they're at an all-time high. These are the stocks that we talk about on a regular basis for better and or for worse. I'm not saying it is what it is, but it's out there. GDP's out there as well, so we have to tip a hat to that. Intel, Twitter, ExxonMobil, Kogate, Palmolive, Starbucks, all a little bit of tempered result, but good quarters. So... Um, Weakness into a good economy, weakness into a good stock market, weakness into a good GDP report. So you hear President Trump come out and say, hey, we just had the greatest quarter ever, GDP-wise. And it's not true. You got to embellish a little bit, right? I won. I won. But GDP's also passed 
and Wall Street doesn't much care for it. So when you hear GDP 2 to 4%, know that 2% is giving you the barometer that things are cool, closing in on a recession. Up to 4%, things are hot and creating too much inflation. If I were to say that again, maybe 2%, you create maybe some deflationary pressures as businesses want to grow and continue to just stimulate their revenue so they cut the prices. Focusing in on that second quarter of 2018, consumer spending was the main engine of growth, increasing 4%. Now, we also had a situation inside that GDP number of up 4.1% after the first quarter was up 2.2%. So the 4.1% versus the 2.2. But also part of that 4.1 is trade wars coming, trade wars coming, trade wars coming. And what do companies do? They start to sell shares or they start to not sell shares. They start to sell more, more goods. They want to get it shipped before the tariff comes on to it. So not the greatest numbers. A little misleading. When you take into the tax cuts, if you factor this out and if you factor out the pending trade war, you probably have about a 2.2, 2.3% GDP growth. So it's not that great, but the spin on it is it's great. Amazon shares rise after Wall Street gushes over surging profitability. If your husband, no, no, let me not be sexist. If your spouse were to come home and they've got surging pus coming out of a wound, you'd be like, oh, that's disgusting. But if you've got, if, if they come home and they're like, hey, I just have a surge in my income, you'd be like, woo, let's go make babies and let's go, let's go on vacation. And I love awesome. you so much, baby. Analysts are they, they're growing more and more confident in Amazon due to the ability to generate more profits from key opportunities. And Amazon seems to go out and invest in another new idea on a pretty regular basis. You know, one year ago it was getting into retail with Whole Foods. This year it's been getting into more of a mentality, more of a business mode to deliver prescriptions. Amazon reported profitability well above expectations, 400 basis points year over year, expanding margins. You might remember if you listened to the Facebook call, Facebook call, they said declining margins for the next couple of years because they're going to hire more people, more CapEx. Turns out that machine learning, we all, we all talked about machine learning in the last two years, right? Machine learning and artificial intelligence, robble, 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 robble. We kind of learned that... It takes computers to robble, and it takes more computers, and it takes more computers to stay competitive with artificial intelligence. So I see one analyst has a $2,300 price target on it. That's a lot of upside for Amazon. I pity the fools that sold Amazon a couple years ago and say to themselves things along the lines of, can I ever get back in? You can get back in. $2,300 price target. Give yourself time. Be willing to buy if it dips. Leveraging the Amazon model is coming through. Significant profitability upside. Jeff Bezos is watching you. Oh, Jeff Bezos is watching me. Where is he? I got this cool little speaker. Twitter shares dropped 14% after reporting declining monthly active users. Now, okay, in the world of Facebook or Twitter, who would I rather own for the long term? It's Facebook. Facebook has what I imagine is like pirate booty. I know you're saying, what's pirate booty? Not the stuff from Trader Joe's, not the popcorn stuff. But 
Facebook has got something. They got billions and billions and billions of eyeballs and billions and billions and billions of dollars and a company that's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And Twitter's got a cute technology delivery system where you can get together a couple of friends and message each other. It's had a great year and a half, essentially since Trump took over office. Twitter's been on fire. Is there a correlation? Is there a causation? What is the relationship between Twitter and, and the president? The, my, my, and see, I don't even care. I, I'm thinking longer term. Facebook has the ability to say, we have eyeballs. Twitter says, we have eyeballs. Facebook says, we've got content. Twitter's like, well, some of our users generate content. Facebook says, we went out and bought a Major League Baseball game of the week every week. We've done it with football. We've done it with t- basketball. We've done it now with baseball. And Twitter's like, well, we did that one year a couple years ago. So how will Twitter get the content? Twitter will have to be a division of someone else down the road if you don't have the war chest or, like I like to say, the pirate booty. So can you own Twitter? Yeah. Can you invest in Facebook right now? No, it's toxic. If you own Facebook, do you continue to hold it? Long term, do you think it's going to be more of a media stock than ABC, NBC, CBS? It could be your media stock. Keep in mind, everyone who has bought Facebook has essentially made money, except for the people who've bought Facebook in the last 45 days. So that's kind of pretty telling, right? But we'll get caught up in the biggest drop ever in one single day commentary. Which, again, I'm not here to tell you what to do. Always wear white at night when you're on your bicycle. That's my advice. How bad of advice is that? Geronimo. Oh, no, not Peter Gabriel. I'm so not Peter Gabriel right now. No, wait, no, wait. He's too spiritual. I need coffee. Got a cup of coffee. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. It's the worst days ever. Have you ever bought a stock and the next day it's down? Can you imagine if you bought Facebook? Yes, two days ago. And then it loses a hundred plus billion dollars in value. Whoa. Tells you it's had a good run. When they IPO'd, the stock uh, rallied, tanked, and then basically has been nonstop rally. So the stock got hit to the tune of $119 billion. Now that's all in one day. 
We've seen some other companies get hit pretty large, most of them in the last 20 years. Intel back in 2000 took a $90 billion hit in one day. Microsoft took an $80 billion hit in 2000. That was a tough time. April 2000 was right after the go-go 90s. You're living in the Bay Area. You're living in San Francisco back before they had bike paths. Homeless was down probably 75%. You could usually tell the difference between a, a dog turd and a human turd on the sidewalk. Now you can't really tell. But the point being is, it's a long time ago. I remember walking into the Marina Safeway, and you're like, Safeway? Aren't you going to tell me something awesome and fancy about uh, the Bay Area? No. The Marina Safeway is pretty awesome and, and fancy. And when I walked in, I'm six two and a half. I know you throw in that half, and you're like, oh, boy. You're one of those. Whoa. I'm a big guy. I'm tall. Back then, I was a lot skinnier and leaner. And I was like, I'm the shortest person here. This is a, a safe way of the gods. This is a safe way of the, the immortals. And I remember like going on dates and like, I'm like, whoa. Uh, she's like, I just picked up this blouse. It was four, $400. I'm like, $400. No way. Can't rip the buttons off that one, can I? <laughs> oh. But, um... And the names and the facts of the story have been changed for historical significance and making me sound more cool than I actually am. So Apple once lost, in January of 2013, $60 billion. And you're like, whoa, we should go back and take a look. Was it a buying opportunity in Intel, in Microsoft, in Apple, in ExxonMobil? It was for most of these companies when they had their, their worst day ever couple months down the road it was buying opportunity so can you do that or you <laughs> is your spouse giving you too much trouble hey husband go to the store and get us dinner get us a lamb and he takes the money and he buys magic beans it's like oh that's when those big down days come back to hurt now the big down days come back to help when you're thinking do i really like the company and or not like I said, if you take a look at the biggest down days ever, every one of the companies have come back in the top 10 except for one. That would be GE. So GE has struggled since they've had their biggest down day. And that was a sign that it was, it was a Titanic thing. It was a big company that cracked. So just throwing that out there for you. GE once fell back in 2008. And again, 2008, if you take a look at this list... A lot of what was happening in 2008 was like market sell-off. Intel in 2000 was big-time market sell-off. So Amazon shines amid a little GDP fizzle, but Amazon's lifting some of the FANG stocks and some of the tech stocks. The Winklevoss brothers, man, they are the creepy guys from that Facebook movie. They're even creepier in real life. I, something about twins that dress the same. Uh uh-uh. uh. Not as adults over 30. At 13, it's cute. At 15, and you're a girl and you're in a, a double mint gum and your twin sister's in a double mint gum, awesome. But but the Winklevoss twins, who kind of was a, a Zuckerberg peer at school, they've gone on to kind of like become Bitcoin billionaires. Um, they've done something to try to get the ETF established for Bitcoin. 
And the more we talk about Bitcoin and the more regulations pass, it's probably going to become more of a real thing. So a year ago, I was like, I don't know, it could go to zero. Now I'm not thinking it can go to zero. I think once they do start getting some infrastructure under them, some trading platforms, and Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, man, if I if I were to bet on two people that probably have like maybe some bodies in the basement, and they probably talk to each other late at night wearing smoking jackets, with their hair perfectly coiffed, even for some reason after they've run a marathon, they creep me out. And they always look oiled up. What's up with that? I get being oiled up if you're the guy from Tonga. Poor guy. He can't go anywhere these days without people asking, you know, hey, can I see you all oiled up? But he made a bit of a mistake on that image branding. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. So Facebook had a tough day today. They're, they're rallying a bit. Amazon's helping defang overcrowded trade. Do you believe in overcrowded trades? I ask you this. Do you believe in overcrowded trades? Sassy the horse says, Sassy, you don't believe in overcrowded trades? You must be a a horse that people ride around on. Sassy, you're not very good at investment advice. Sassy. Where's Timmy? Timmy fell down a well? Oh, I got duped. I got Sasha Barrett Cohen. That's Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, the show has gone off the, the rails. Let's take a look at the markets. See how we're doing. Okay, so we get GDP, and this this just comes straight to my mind. We get GDP at 4.1%, right? We get the stock markets near all-time highs. Maybe not at all-time highs, but near all-time highs in the, in the same neighborhood. What could possibly go wrong if everything's hitting perfect numbers? Do you remember that time you were in love and you and your partner went on a seven-day, an eight-night trip to Acapulco, fabulous Acapulco? And you're like, hey, let's go down to the beach. Hey, pretty lady, you want to buy glass pipe? No, 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 no. And you were hitting in all strides. You had the perfect dinner, the perfect love, the perfect beach. You got on a surfboard with her and you rode the waves to, to bliss. How did it go after that? It probably all went downhill. 4.1% GDP is a pretty big number. It's pretty eye-popping. I know it's a little financially engineered, so I'm not that impressed. That don't impress me. You got your car and you kiss it every night. That don't impress me. Uh, where do we go with this? You know who does, also doesn't impress me? Pitbull. Anything Pitbull touches, I want nothing to do with it. If he's talking to Tony Robbins, nothing to do with it. If he's singing, I want nothing to do with it. That's all I have to say. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
two boys who are starting to hit that skiing age where it's expensive to stay in a hotel and then it gets even more expensive to, you know, where are you going to store your skis or are you going to bring them all the way back or, you know, leave them. It's so I did that and it, it, it cash flow wise wasn't very smart for me. But it also kind of set up me with set me up with some fixed cost, more mortgage money, more housing money, but it's taken away some of my vacation costs and the, the fixed cost of the mortgages I'm paying myself to go on vacation, some principal, a lot of interest. The furniture will depreciate quickly. My best hope is probably for the whole house to burn down in five years for me to get the maximum amount of money back. But in five to seven years, my kids should be pretty good skiers. My parents never really did that for me. So it was 16 years old and I had to go learn to ski on my own. And the only reason I did that was I saw the movie Better Off Dead and I was a big John Cusack fan. The $2. I want my $2. And are you going to ski this K9? The first question of the movie is, I think, are you going to ski the K9? I skied the K9. Now, it was incredibly irresponsible because I didn't know what I was doing, and I probably could have killed someone on the way down the hill. But I want my kids to be able to go to college or high school and, and not be afraid to get on skis. I know that, that sounds like a crazy thing, but it's, it's my generation. I think it's the 21st century golf. Nothing against you golfers, but it's dying, and it's dying rapidly. And you can see it when Tiger Woods comes on, and like suddenly everyone turns on their TV like, let's watch Tiger. Was that my over-middle-aged white guy, Caucasian, saying, let's watch Tiger? It kind of was, because CBS will tell you the same thing. No one watches the tournaments unless Tiger's in it. And we're all fascinated by the freak that, w- that was the Tiger Woods you know, kid at four years old. It's Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. I just told the story of um, skiing is the new networking, I think. You've, the ability to go on a ski trip with, with male friends and coworkers and young ladies. Um, it's a great social networker. Thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm a little biased. I like golf. I play golf. But it, you got to admit the people on the course. I actually I talked to somebody the other day that, that uh, doesn't golf. And I said, oh, yeah, I play a little bit of golf. They saw some golf gear that I had on and they said, Oh, that must be great for networking. Did you do golf because of networking? And you know, kind of, but you know, I started much earlier before the networking days. Um, but yeah, you know, a second home and the community that you you're in, I think is very important for that type of environment. You're looking for your child uh, or your family or just yourself. Um, I think that when looking at a second home, you have to look at what, what you're going to do. It's like a timeshare. It, it makes sense if you're going to use it. You you did it because of multiple reasons. You wanted that experience, and you also were looking at expensive vacations. You're like, oh, okay, I can. You, you did all the math. I did it with you. You added everything up and said, this is how much I spend every year, and this is how much a mortgage will spend if I did a second home. And a lot of people do that. And they go, but then, this makes sense, and they do the same thing for like timeshares or the. And, and when I originally Hawaii. when I originally talked to you as my mortgage lender, I said, you know, I, I got to leave some emergency at some wiggle room. Yeah, um, because cash flow, my cash flow suddenly almost doubled. Well, I mean, my cash flow going out. The other part of that, I mean, some people go directed to a timeshare, for example, because number one, it's multiple places. Number two, you don't have to put a large down payment. So there's a immediate cash infusion into this out of your cash reserves that you have to sacrifice. But it's kind of, you know, if you do it right and you do your research and you enjoy the place, you know, that money sits there and hopefully grows a little bit. You pay down some principal. Um, I don't know if it's the new golf. 
but it's certainly something we're seeing more often in the, you know, the, as you're getting closer to retirement, people are, you know, especially here in the Bay Area, are looking at massive amounts of equity. And they, they're not getting that rate of return on equity. So they're figuring out, you know, what kind of investment property are we going to look at? Is it sure. a second home? And that's one of the things that I did was I took out a home equity line. Yeah. And you and I walked through that process, and we learned, you know, a lot about Bank of America's particulars. And every bank's going to have slightly different particulars, and that's the nice thing about knowing someone in the industry. But so I, I did sell some of one home to buy more of a second home, but on a monthly basis, instead of that equity sitting there doing nothing in the first home in San Carlos, in the vacation home, it's it's now you know giving me vacation time and other things. It's working a little bit better, but you do have to pay about that back too. So yeah, as long as you're not doing both. Right, the vacations and the second home. Oh yeah, yeah. Then, then you're basically just dipping in two pockets. And you know, there's other purposes for doing it. You know, there's sure. like, you know, sometimes it's okay to lose money if you're well, giving your kids a, a better experience in life than you had, and that means something to you. Keep in mind, kids love plastic boxes or boxes. And, and there's always the opportunity. We, the way that a lot of people look at, at second homes is uh, as an investment property where they can go out and do an Airbnb or some sort of vacation rental company like um, VRBO or whatever the local company is and get generate some income. But I, I would rather them, because it is kind of a sketchy and very um, a sketchy strategy that is, as opposed to just going straight into an investment property where you have to be able to go a little negative in case there is just a lack of, of tenants in the property. And it's, it's a high rotation. It's a very high commission. Uh, on a, what was the commission that we, we looked at a couple 25, 30% in some cases, yeah. as opposed to maybe a 7% commission on a rental property, but yet you don't get to use it. So what are you doing with your money? And I hope the people that do a second home or decide that that's the direction they go, that they, they look at it as something that they could lose a little bit of money or go negative, but maybe they're making that up by not taking those really expensive Hawaii or, you know, Cabo vacations. I hear that. So, and, um, (laughs) you know, it was interesting what I was talking about is you sat down with me and you and I kind of like got on napkins at first and then we got to paper and spreadsheets and figured out the cash flow and how much emergency money should I have in my accounts and, and I've got various accounts. I've got a lot of real estate now. I've got a lot of stocks. I got particular stocks sometimes. Um, but one of the things I said to you was, do I have enough for an emergency? Like, I got to keep my emergency fund more than enough because guess what happens? My air conditioner breaks in one of my rental properties. Yep. And $4,000. The question is, is it a $200 fix or is it a $4,000 fix? Yeah. And, uh, so suddenly that's like having three mortgage payments or four mortgage payments. It's still the number one, um, uh, unanticipated costs of owning a house or an investment property of any kind is the maintenance of the property. It's still the number one unanticipated cost. I've stained the fence. I've changed yeah. the yard. Um, I've worked on the kitchen. At- it's a crazy number. Um, how high on the average in the United States per household, how much it costs to maintain your house. It's like $16,000 a year or something. I, I think, like aren't that. they saying it's one person, you should spend at least 1% of your home's value. Yeah, it's it's some. I'm not sure it's that simple, but well, there there's some numbers out there like that. I mean, there's there's people that that go out and buy condos and townhouses for that exact reason. I don't want to maintain my property, and that seems to be a a pretty common theme right now. Uh, Not just with builders, but the buyers. There's buyers and buyers and buyers that are looking at places that you just don't have to maintain. And and it used to be the old people, right? It used to be the seniors that were looking for a place that, okay, I'm going to pay this HRA. You paint my house. You cut my grass. I'll take care of the inside. Yeah. And now it's everybody. 
So I have no problem with it. Um, some people just don't have the knack for trimming their yard or trimming the, the bushes or painting the exterior uh, or replacing some wood. In this case, taking equity from a home in California, sunny California, where you don't get a lot of bad weather. Where I live on the peninsula, you don't get a lot of bad weather. So trading some equity for that, this is kind of interesting. For a place that has bad that has, extreme weather. You know, six feet of snow sometimes. Sitting on the patio, you're going to have to replace the patio in location B more so than in location A. But location A does need it. It just doesn't need it as fast. And it, it, it creates a situation where you better be good with budgets. Because most of the people that I know who have gone bankrupt have typically been bad with budgets, but have also got caught up in the leverage game of taking money from one property to another. I've never known anyone to go bankrupt who lost $180,000 in one day in Facebook. There's a guy who lost $180,000 in one day in Facebook. It was 40% of his account, but I've never known anyone to go bankrupt. Of uh, You got to get out. You have no place to live. So that's one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about with real estate. But that's why it pays to have a good lender. It helps to have a good lender, someone who can help you. You know, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Um, because Tony's got access to me. And trust me, I'm your number one friend in getting you to retirement. That's my goal. Um, and it's become my goal. Back in the 1990s. I kind of wanted to meet uh, a beautiful young wife. <laughs> that was my goal. So I talked tech stocks because it was a shiny object. And then, well, I got a great job, and that led to, which led to, which led to. But Tony's got access to me. I'm, I'm the guy who cares about your retirement. He, he's the guy who cares about getting the right mortgage. Uh, probably a little bit too much more so at sometimes. Elsewhere out there in the world of real estate, pre-approvals. I've always, I've always looked at them as jokes. Because I've seen the pre-approval process sometimes when I wasn't working with you be a joke. When they're like, how much do you make? I'm like, eh, let me think about this. And right Yeah, it's kind of like getting a receipt when you buy something nowadays. Cause it's, it's, it's even worse. It's like getting a handwritten receipt yeah. <laughs> where you, you say, how much do I owe you? I'm like, well, let me think about how much do I make. It's I make one job. And, and you're like, okay, I can approve you for 10 times that. I'm like, <laughs> do I have to show you a W-2? Not yet. Not yet. Later. Later. <laughs> And you write me a pre-approval for like a million dollars. I don't want to say it's my... I, I actually enjoy doing the pre-approval because that's the part where I get to know you the best. Um, I, I learn very intimate things about you. and But it, it's definitely something that sellers are still looking for. I and mean, we could talk about it a little bit more. It's But it, it, I'm still surprised that people still go out there and look for homes without them. I see my Michael Jackson for you. Okay. Me and Bubbles need a pre-approval. Okay. Okay. Oh. Little Michael Jackson, Santa Barbara. Ellen sold her house in Santa Barbara. She did well on that. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, or I guess she was in Montecito. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Black.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. The roadmap for me, what I 
thought when I was 16 didn't turn out exactly right. We're going to go back 10 years old, and what I thought my life was going to be like didn't turn out. Whether it be the wife, the kids, the where I was going to live, the job I was going to have, the amount of money I would have. And then 25 came, and I started my own business in my early 20s, and I once had a dream to get to like 10 million under man, 10 million in assets under management. I got way past that. So my roadmap has changed, and as it's changed, I've been a little bit more open-minded. I've taken a little bit more. Um, I've been a little bit more open-minded to think areas that I, I wasn't necessarily into in the past. So anytime I go to a new city now, I'm like, I wonder what the condos look like. I wonder what those are going for. I mean, I wonder what the tech jobs are. So consciously, as my roadmap changed, I, I did open up to new investment ideas. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's interesting because 20 years ago, I put together a list of seven of the hottest cities in America to buy real estate in. And I was going after the mid-level because I was more of a mid-level buyer. I couldn't really afford New York or San Francisco at that point. So I was looking at Memphis, Raleigh, Denver, Austin, Seattle, because the movie Singles came out in the 1990s where Chris Cornell does the na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. And you're like, that's a catchy song. And Pearl Jam was on it. And so but yeah, I put together my list and I just opened up is what I'm trying to get at. And, you know, maybe I'm going to retire 10 years earlier than I ever thought I would. I, I probably when I was 16, I thought I was going to work till the day I died. I saw my dad work till the day he died. If I work till the day I die, it's not because I need the money. I've got the money now. So check. So as your roadmap changes, hopefully you're able to change a little bit. But you know what still scares me, Tony? And Tony, you can find him at com. Are the people who are trying to hit the home runs. Mm. And I'm talking like... They make 150, not bad, not bad for the United States, pretty average for the Bay Area. And um, then they try to buy like a, an apartment building. I'm like, you're overextending just a bit. Um, there's an apartment building in my hometown right now that's going for a couple million dollars. And I'm like, no, I want to, but no. Well, we've, we've been, we're a little on the older side of of the, uh, the the largest generation you know pe- people out there that are being promoted these uh, home runs and but I, I've been promoted those for since I was 18 as soon as I started thinking about money um, somebody was always there in my face whether it was a TV commercial or some guy walking through our store um, saying this is how you're gonna hit a home run um, some of them made sense like I look back at one in particular and the guy goes oh you put two hundred dollars away a month Every month you go negative for the first three or four years. But by the time you're 40, you'll have $2 million. Okay. Would that have worked? I don't know. But do you remember doing loans for people or people would approach you and their roadmap wasn't there yet? They would say things along the lines of, I'd like to buy another million dollar house or $2 million house in San Jose. And I'm going to put a renter in it. I'm going to lose $4,000 a month. You're like, you're always 40. I haven't seen any of those lately. Lately, right? But see how... Lately. But also, isn't that telling you that someone's roadmap was just skewed? They they, they thought they were okay losing $48,000 a year. We went through a time where you could almost buy any real estate, and it worked. And yeah, you're losing $4,000 a month, but I'm gaining $10,000 in equity every month. I mean, that was kind of what people were, were saying about real estate. Everyone was saying that about real estate. And that was the disease. If we were going to buy a home for the next five to seven years... What's the lowest mortgage payment to go with right now? Is it a, a five to seven year arm? Is it a 15 year? Is it a 30 year? Lowest uh, payment or lowest rate? 
Say lowest rate. You tell me lowest rate. Well, what's your budget? All right, so um, that's that's a really good question. A lot of people come to me and say, "What's?" I think the key factor that I'm saying is I'm going to be there five to seven years. Get a five year or seven year arm. Isn't that tough to do mentally? Um, it is because you you do kind of get locked into that time frame. But you know it, it, what, what I learned in the business is that a, a seven year period usually you're going to find the ups and downs. We haven't seen many, and that that is in rates. So throughout that period, if you change your mind, you may be able to ride out through one of those rate increases or rate dips, but you can always get another arm. Arms are typically 1% lower than a 30-year fix. So if rates go up, you know, the 30-year fix goes up one point and you're like, oh, I really wanted that 30. Oh, just get another seven-year arm because you'll start adjusting it higher if you keep it. So that's what I would do if I was, if I knew I was going to stay in a house for a short, a predetermined amount of time i would get an arm because why would you pay more on a monthly basis to end up with the same balance it's it's the whole theory i hear you some people go directly into uh, pure adjustables um some people just here's the thing that i'm getting about product is a lot of people just want to know what the best product to get is because then you start we sell fear to ourselves like my dad my dad only got 30-year mortgages all right if, if you want just a general philosophy about rates is when rates are low, you get the fixed. When rates are high, you get the arm. Um, right now, rates are kind of edging upward. They're not the lowest they've been, but historically, we're still about 2% lower than, well, maybe like 1.75% lower than where we are historical average. So we're still on the low side. So maybe 30-year fixed makes sense. But um, you may buy that house and think, you know, with a seven-year arm and then decide later that you know, and maybe you get some bonuses, your jobs do well, your, you know, your spouse makes more money, who knows? And you decide to keep it as a rental and you're like, mm, rental doesn't really work with a, with a seven year arm. Net rates have gone up and now I, I can't refinance into something that makes more money. Um, and it, with reamortizing at a higher rate. So, um, it, things change. And that's the thing that really f- uh, worries people about getting an arm is that three or four years into it, you may decide to do something else. It's like, that like song, keep the house. It's like that something. song seasons change. Sure. So mortgages freak me out. Mortgages people freak people out. They do. Because <sighs> again, sometimes we're living they with, shouldn't. We're living with daddy's thoughts. And mortgage has the word death in it. Mort. It's not good. Remember the thirty year mortgage booklet burning parties? <laughs> our parents celebrated stuff like that. With that said, uh, we are now our parents. You can find me online at robblackshow.com you can find Tony at bayarealonesource.com that's bayarealonesource.com find him line, online at bayarealonesource.com he does my mortgages and he gets, sits down with you and he, he kind of gets to know your product and gets to know your concepts three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.